If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. In our culture of tolerance and inclusivity, it's widely believed that there are many paths to God. But being widely believed doesn't make it true. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines what Jesus said about the way to God, an answer that was as controversial and misunderstood in his time as it is in ours. To introduce his message, Is There Only One Way to God? Here's David. Hey, friends, I heard recently someone say, if you want to stir up a big discussion, the next time you're standing at the water cooler in the place where you work, just drop this little thought that you believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and then hang on. Because that is one of the things that we believe as Christians that becomes toxic when it is let loose in the atmosphere. But it's not based upon somebody's crazy uh, idea. It's based upon the Scripture. And today we're going to look at that Scripture in John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is so clearly presented. Frankly, it's an interesting thing to me because I remember... uh, during the funeral of Gerald Ford, I watched it on television, the, um, the person who gave the message, I don't remember who it was or what his theological background was, I remember that he used this verse and left off the last phrase. He obviously did it on purpose. He said, I want you to know John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he didn't give the clincher, which Jesus also said, no man comes to the Father except through me. That is exclusivism, according to some people. It's just biblical truth, according to Christians. And we're going to talk about it today and tomorrow. If somebody's ever asked you why you believe Jesus is the only way to God, we'll provide some answers both today and tomorrow. And the answers are also in a book that we have just uh, made available to all of our listeners. The book is entitled 10 Questions Christians Are Asking. It's available to you for a gift of any size during the month of May. Simply ask for it when you send your gift today. Your gifts are tax deductible, and we appreciate them because they help us do this incredible task of teaching the Word of God around the world. Well, let's get started with this question. Is there really only one way to God? Walter Chaplinsky had strong opinions about religion, and he wasn't shy about expressing them. In 1940, he caused a ruckus in Rochester, New Hampshire, by loudly denouncing organized religion and by condemning several Christian denominations by name, and he did it in public. The results were that he found himself arrested and convicted under a state law making it a crime to speak any offensive or annoying word to any person 
who is lawfully in any street or other public place. He believed that his free speech rights had been violated, and so he appealed his case all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And in 1942, the Supreme Court justices unanimously affirmed his conviction, saying that, quote-unquote, fighting words like the ones he shouted fall outside of the protection of the First Amendment. And 30 years later, the High Court clarified its definition of fighting words by calling them personally abusive words that are inherently likely to provoke violent action. Fighting words, they said, arouse a visceral response in people, making their guts churn and their hands ball into a fist. To some people, such are the outrageous words of Jesus Christ when he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I do not have to tell you that's not a very popular thing to say. It's surely not a very popular thing to believe. In fact, I remember looking back over my shoulder now at some of the occurrences when religious leaders would appear on the Larry King show on CNN. I'm talking about people like Franklin Graham and Joel Osteen and Rick Warren, Robert Jeffress. And I'd always wait because I knew it was coming that before the interview was over, he would say, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God. He felt like that was the one question he could ask that would pin them to the wall and they wouldn't have any answer. Oprah Winfrey has written that one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there is only one way. She said, actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. Rabbi Shmuley Botich said, I am absolutely against any religion that says that one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. It's a way of saying that we are closer to God than you are, and that's what leads to hatred. Well, these are just a few of the statements of people who become almost out of control when they hear somebody say that Jesus is the only way to God. In our age of pluralism and tolerance, the question, is there only one way to God, is the most toxic and volatile question you could ever ask. On the night of his arrest, Jesus addressed this very question. He was gathered together in the upper room, eating and drinking with his chosen disciples, and he spoke to them about a number of troubling things that would soon take place. And then he comforted them with these words which are known to us. He said to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Well, when Jesus said that to his disciples, that the way to God was certain and knowable, Doubting Thomas, one of his disciples spoke up and he said to Jesus in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Obviously, Thomas hadn't been listening to what Jesus said. He got it all wrong. 
He didn't understand that Jesus had just got done telling him that he was going to go to heaven, he was going to prepare a place, and he was going to come back and get them and take them to the place where he was. Thomas obviously thought Jesus was talking about going someplace in Israel and hiding out, and he wanted to know how would he be able to find Jesus, and how would he get there if he didn't even know where he was going? How would he ever know the way? He was looking for some sort of earthly map to where Jesus was going. You see, Thomas' problem was his mind was on earthly things. Jesus was trying to communicate something spiritual, and he was on earthly things. And he asked this question. While he shouldn't have asked the question, I'm glad he did, because it gave Jesus an opportunity to give the answer. And the answer that Jesus gave is the question that we're talking about today. The answer that he gave is John 14, 6. Listen, these are the words of Jesus. And Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In that powerful statement, Jesus declared himself to be the answer to the three greatest questions of the human heart. To the first question, how can I be saved? He said, I am the way. The second one, how can I be sure? He said, I'm the truth. And the third, how can I be satisfied? He said, I am the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus claims that he is the answer to life's greatest question by pointing to himself and saying, I, I only am the way to God. Now, I need to tell you, men and women, these words have caused more trouble in our day and in Jesus' day than just about anything Jesus ever said. These are fighting words, if I could go back to the original illustration. And some of you are thinking, what do you mean Jesus Christ is the only way? There have to be many ways to God, and your way through Christ is no better than my way through Buddha or Confucius or whoever. How can you be so bigoted and narrow-minded as to say almost with pride in your heart that in Jesus Christ you have the only way? And there's only one reason why anybody can say that, and that is because Jesus said it, and he is God. And once again, look at what he said. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I remember some years ago when President Gerald Ford died, I happened to be home in the afternoon when they held his service, and it was on television, as you can well imagine. And the man who preached the service preached from this text, John 14. And he preached every word in this text except the last one. The last word is, no man comes to the Father except through me. He omitted that. You see, that's not politically correct. That's not something you want to say in public if you're an official. You don't want to say something like that because it sounds like you're being unfair, you're being unkind, you're certainly being intolerant. In order for us to understand why Jesus said these words, we have to go all the way back in our thinking to the book of Genesis and to the record of the fall of man. Before Adam and his wife sinned in the garden, they had some special privileges with their maker, with God. For instance, Adam communed with God intimately. You see him in the story walking with God in fellowship. Remember that? And he knew God in reality. You see him believing what God told him. And he possessed life spiritually. He lived in paradise. But when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and ate of the forbidden fruit, because they were the head of the human race, they lost all of their privileges with God just like that. Their communion was broken, and the Bible says they hid from God. 
Their knowledge was corrupted, and the Bible says they believed the lie of the serpent, the lie of the devil. And their life was shattered. They were evicted from the garden, and they began the process of dying. And ladies and gentlemen, the condition that all of us are in before Christ is exactly like that. Because we are descendants of Adam, we have inherited all of the problems that were created by their rebellion against God. We are separated from God. We cannot know him. There's a barrier between us that makes it impossible for us to commune with God. If we're honest before we know Christ, we sense that. We sense that something's wrong. Something's not right. We can't communicate with God. We are also ignorant of God's truth. We open our Bibles if someone gives us one and we try to read it and it doesn't make any sense to us. We can't comprehend it. And we are like Adam and Eve after they were thrown out of the garden. We keep looking and looking for something to satisfy us and we can't find it. There's this emptiness in our lives. But here is the good news. When Jesus Christ came, he came specifically to fix all of the things that were broken because of the fall. He came to be the one who would restore our fellowship with God. He came to be the truth about God in his very being. And he came to give us life, not just in heaven someday by and by, but life in the here and now that's better than anything you will ever find anywhere. In reality, Jesus is communion restored, he is truth recovered, and he is life regained. Notice, first of all, he is communion restored. He said, I am the way. Apart from Christ, you are barred from communion with God because of sin. But Jesus says that he came to remove that barrier. The apostle Paul said it this way, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Christ Jesus. He came to be the bridge, to open up the way again so that we could have fellowship with God. He has come to be the way. Now we believe, all of us, that Jesus is the teacher of the way. We accept the fact that he is the guide along the way, but that's not what he is saying here. He is saying here that he is the way. He's saying, I am the way, to restore communion with God. You have probably heard the rumor that your pastor is directionally challenged, that I spend at least a few moments every week totally lost. I have so many stories I could tell you of how I have lost my way. One of the most profound ones that I thought of was when I was a pastor in Fort Wayne on one occasion, I was conducting a funeral, and I was in my car following the hearse to the graveyard, and I was talking to a friend of mine about a church that we were trying to help over here, and instead of following the hearse, I took the right turn and went to the church. The hearse went to the funeral, and I didn't know where the cemetery was. It took me a while to get there, and when I got there, they were waiting for me, and I'm telling you the truth. From that moment on, that funeral director would never let me conduct a funeral unless I promised to ride with him to the cemetery. <laughs> That's how bad it is. And of course now we have all of these wonderful devices that are supposed to help us find our way. I have two. I have one in my car and one in my phone. But what I've discovered is that they don't always agree. So here I've got the voices of two women I've never met telling me where to go. 
and half the time they get me more lost than if I would just try my best. It's so bad for me, friends, that oftentimes when I get to a place where I have to make a decision, if it seems right to go right, I go left. Anyway, suppose I were to go to another city and I was visiting there and I needed to find a place and I would go up to a man and say to him, I need some directions to this location. And he were to say to me, here's what you need to do, Pastor Jeremiah. Take the first right and then the second left, cross the shopping mall bridge, go to past the church and take the third right. I'm in trouble right there. I can't listen fast enough or even write fast enough to hear what this man is saying and I will probably be too proud to ask him for any questions to be answered. It's happened to me so often. It's like a recurring dream. On the other hand, suppose that man were to say to me, look, I have a little time on my hands today and I know exactly where you want to go. Let me help you. Let me be your way. I'll take you there. And suppose he were to get in my car and ride with me or maybe he would ask me to scoot over and he would drive the car. Or perhaps he would lead me in his car so that I could follow him. That would be a dream come true. It's never happened to me. I doubt if it ever will happen to me. Even though I might pray for it, it's never been a prayer that's been answered. But that is what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying, I want to be your way. I don't want to give you directions to the way. I don't want you to follow those directions. I am the way. I will take you to God and restore communication with him. Jesus Christ is the way. Do you know that in the early church, they didn't call the early Christians Christians or disciples. They called them people of the way. They called the church the way because that was the unique message that they had a way to God through their Savior. So Jesus is communication restored. I am the way. He is also truth recovered. He said, I am the truth. In John 1.14, we read, and the word, which is the word for Christ, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the word. He is God's message to us. He is who God is, living in a human body, perfected in his holiness, walking on this earth, showing us what we can know about God. We can never know everything about the Father because he is a spirit. But in his condescension to us, Almighty God poured himself into a human body and allowed that body to walk on this earth for 33 years and his life to be wonderfully recorded by the gospel narrators. And in that body, he lived as if God were in that body because God was in that body. He was God walking around in a body. He was the truth about God in a body. He was the Word. On one occasion, someone came to Jesus and said, show us the Father. And you know what he said? He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So Jesus Christ is not only the way to God, Jesus Christ is the truth about God. He is alone the truth about God. Now let me tell you something about truth and listen carefully here. Those of you who get browbeaten by the people who criticize you for saying that you believe you have the only way. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the truth. And I want to suggest to you today that truth is very exclusive. 
If it isn't, it can't be true. For instance, truth is truth, whether it is scientifically, mathematically, interpersonally, or spiritually truth. If I say to you, two multiplied by two equals four, that is a very narrow, dogmatic, intolerant statement. Error says two multiplied two is whatever you want it to be. Make it three, make it five. Note, the truth is two multiplied by two is four. How intolerant could one be? You see, truth cannot accept error. And since Jesus is the truth, he has to be exclusively the truth. Anything other than Jesus, anything that's not Jesus, is not the truth. He is the truth. No matter how unpopular, no matter how widespread, no matter how convincing or unconvincing it may be, the Bible says Jesus is the truth, and anything other than Jesus is not the truth when it comes to knowing God. I was reading some time ago in Discipleship Journal, and I came across a story by author Max Stiles who tells how on one occasion he was trying to lead a young Swedish man to faith. And as he was talking to this young man, whose name was Andreas, Andreas said to Max Stiles, I've been told that if I decide to follow Jesus, he will meet my needs and my life will be very good. No, Andreas, no, I said, that's not exactly true. He blinked, and I said to him, Andres, you may accept Jesus and find that life goes very badly for you. I said, what do you mean? He says, you may come to Christ and find out that you no longer have all of your friends. You might even have some of your family that will get mad at you. You could even lose your job. There are a lot of bad things, he said, that may happen to you if you decide to follow Jesus. Andreas stared at him and then asked the most obvious question. Well, if that's true, why would I want to follow Jesus? And Stiles said, those on the side of truth come to Jesus. Jesus is true. No matter what else is going on, if you want to be where the truth is, that's where Jesus is. He is the truth. He is communion restored. And he is truth recovered. And thirdly, he is life regained. Jesus is the absolute opposite of death. Jesus is life. He is the life. And Jesus said, I am the life. John 1.4 says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Jesus Christ is the one who came to free us from death. And I'm not talking here about physical death because we all know that if the Lord doesn't come during our normal lifespan, we will die, all of us. I mean, the statistics on death are 100% last I knew. So death is a reality for us, physical death. He's not talking here about the separation of the soul from the body. He's talking about the death which is the separation of the soul from God. And he says that if you come to Christ, you will never experience that death. You will come alive. You will be restored in your relationship to God through his life-giving death. You will come alive. Hmm. Well, that's part one of Is There Only One Way to God? Part two tomorrow. 
Hey, we still have some great questions to deal with. Next week, we'll talk about why Christians have so many problems. Why don't our prayers get answered? Is there a sin that God cannot forgive? What is faith? And what is the greatest commandment? These are all questions that people ask, and we have answers uh, in this series. Not my answers, but the answers of the Bible. These answers are also in our book, which is the resource for the month of May. I hope you will get this book while it is being offered. It's yours for a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of May. Your gifts go into the cost of time and production. We have to pay for time on all the radio stations that carry this program, and we couldn't do that unless you helped us. Your support, your investment makes it possible for this ministry to get to you the way it does each day. So thank you in advance for your gift, and we will thank you tangibly with a copy of this book. It's a hardback, 230-page book filled with the truth you're listening to, and then at the end of each chapter, the study guide questions that normally appear in a separate volume. This book is yours for the asking when you send your gift today. And we'll see you right here tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's hardcover book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, and learn to live with greater confidence. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries for instant access to our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, here on Turning Point. Legacy. When I think about my life and the legacy I will leave behind one day, I remember the legacy of faith I saw in the lives of my parents, and it is now reflected in the lives of my children and grandchildren. Then I reflect upon the calling God placed on my heart to preach and teach, and I think of the people who have been touched around the world through the ministry of Turning Point. Each of us will leave a legacy. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? In addition to the legacy that will be entrusted to your family, perhaps you have considered leaving your imprint on something with eternal consequences. Many people don't think beyond this life. They live only for today with no hope beyond the grave. But for the believer, we not only have an eternal perspective on life today, we want to leave behind a testimony of our faith so that others may come to know Christ as well. Long after you and I finish our time on this earth, Turning Point will continue to bring the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And there is still so much work to do. Will you join me in this very important effort? 
What will your legacy be? If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. 